Praise the Lord. All over the world, millions of believers are celebrating the resurrection of Christ our Lord. Just as others have for thousands of years. What is it about this resurrection that has captivated Christians from the very beginning? This is the central event in our faith. It's the turning point in human history. It's the one thing all true believers accept. And true believers are divided on a lot of issues. But nobody's divided on this one. True believers accept that Christ came out of that grave. And this one Hebrew man forever changed the world. He radically altered the perception of the established religion at that time. He radically challenged the political power at that time of his ministry here. See, because the religion was the power among the Jews. And they were occupied or overseen by the Romans. And by standing up to the religious powers, he was showing them they didn't rule over him, he ruled over them. He revived interest in the way of God. And how did he do that? By getting rid of the obstructions of sin and those of human institutions. The religious leaders at the time, they had an operation. They had a way of doing things, and he upset the apple cart, so to speak. He said, you're doing it wrong. And what did he get for that? Killed. But then he arose. He arose victorious. He shattered the falsehoods. He broke through the lies. He obliterated the deceptions that had held humankind captive. And he opened up the path to God by breaking every barrier and shining spiritual light upon the way. He said, this is the way. And his followers were originally called people of the way. They weren't called Christians until Antioch. They were called followers of the way. It was one of the names that we considered for Christ's family as we were forming. Followers of the way. In the end, people falsely accused him. They illegally tried him. Those weren't lawful trials. They were illegal. They went against everything right there at that time in that land. And still they did it. And then they wrongfully tortured him. And they executed him. And yet even as he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, as the Scripture says, his prophetic words came to life. He arose. We read that scripture. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he wasn't speaking about the physical temple. He was speaking about himself. And now I'm asking the question, and this is the, the title of my sermon today. Why celebrate his resurrection? I've been challenged on it. 
Well, it's not in the Bible, Pastor. It's not in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that says we have to celebrate the resurrection. I'm going to take you back in time a little bit, because according to archaeologists, crucifixion dates back to the Persians, the Phoenicians, and the Assyrians. It wasn't made up by the Romans. It was initially used as a means to punish and humiliate, usually slaves, but it wasn't used to kill. Some people would die from it because it was a brutal punishment, but that wasn't its intention. Eventually, it became a torturous capital punishment and a humiliating one at that. Because, you know, we've all seen those images of a body on the cross with the little loincloth. There weren't no loincloths. They stripped the victim completely naked and hung them up above everyone. So not only did their family see this, but so did all of their friends, their neighbors, the whole community. Now, I don't know if you can form that image in your mind, but here you are, accused of a crime, and now right there in downtown Butler, you are hung on a cross, bare naked, and everybody that knows you sees you hanging there dying. That's what happened to him. Historically speaking, the most detailed accounts available are of Roman crucifixions and the methods that they employed. However, according to Josephus, who was a Jewish, Jewish ruler, there was a Jewish ruler named Alexander Janaeus who crucified 800 Jews in a single day in 7 AD for revolting against the census. Now you can pull that first picture up. They lined them up as they crucified them. They lined them up. They were left along the road as a warning to others. Crucifixions occurred in recent history, too. You can go to the next picture. This was in 1915. That's a real picture from history. During times of war or rebellion, crucifixions could number in the hundreds or even thousands. And those who suffered this fate would sometimes hang in agony for days before death provided a welcome release. After Christ, many went to the cross by faith, but I imagine some got faith while they were hanging there. Think about that dying thief. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, he said. And the Lord said what? I tell you the truth, today you're going to be with me in paradise. The one sentenced to die by crucifixion would carry the cross beam, which would have weighed 75 to 100 pounds. Just the top part they would have carried at that time. The post would have been maybe up to another 200 pounds. And it would have been at the crucifixion site. Sometimes the posts would be in the ground, other times they would attach the cross beam, and then they'd pick up the, the body and the, and the beam and the, and the posts, and they'd slam them down into the holes. Upon arrival, they'd either be roped onto the cross beam or nailed through the wrists, not through the palms, it would be through the wrists, because the palms, the hands wouldn't hold it. 
wouldn't hold the weight. The feet were sometimes nailed to the sides of the post and other times to the front, sometimes with a footboard. This previous picture showed that they were on footboards. But you see there's a little piece of wood there. That was used like a button cap. If anybody knows what button cap nails are, they use that like a button cap to hold the nail so it wouldn't pull through the flesh. And they'd go through the bone so that they couldn't pull it out. Uncounted numbers of people were crucified. So why do we remember this one? Hundreds of thousands, who knows, maybe millions of people have been crucified throughout time. Nobody's kept a record. I've looked. I have hunted. I have scoured. I have found no record of all of the people that have been crucified. Still happening to this day. One notable record, though, relates 6,000 rebels crucified in the two-year revolt that was led by Spartacus between 73 B.C. and 71 B.C. They were left to rot along the road. Put the next picture up, please. Okay, so you ran through it. Go back to the other one. This is obviously a uh, theatrical representation. But they left them along the road to show everybody what happens when you go against the government. There's another record that tells of a young man whose remains were excavated. He was estimated between 27 and 29. Now you can go to the other one. The one with the nail in it. There you go. And that image shows the nail still in his ankle bone. It was excavated, and what they show here, these are just graphic depictions of how the bone would have been penetrated by the nail, and that nail was bent, must have hit a knot or something in the wood, and it bent over, so the family didn't extract it. Undoubtedly, they didn't want to further defile the corpse. And by God's providence... It remains as a testimony to the fact that feet were nailed through the side sometimes. Because we've always had those images, and this was found in 1968, we've always had those images where the feet were crossed over and the nail was, went through the front. But that's not necessarily always the way it was. And I'm showing you how, gra I'm giving you these graphics intentionally, okay, so that you understand what our Lord went through. Because He went through it not just for me but for you. And if we're going to celebrate His resurrection, we need to understand what that meant. What happened? And this is the only archaeological proof of crucifixion that was ever found. In any case, I've never found the uh, actual number of deaths. Couldn't find it anywhere. We know it was many. And some in the Middle Eastern area still use crucifixion to punish and humiliate and kill those that they deem to be enemies. Still happening to this day. I don't want to show you any images. But there were other resurrections too. Remember Lazarus? Christ foretold, it's written in John chapter 11 and verse 4, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus' death was intentional to get God's 
glory to be shining in the world through Christ. But uh, instead of racing off to heal him, he waited two extra days. Two extra days! He could have been there. He could have saved him. He could have kept him alive. But he plainly told his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And that's how he wanted it. And sometimes, isn't that just how it is? The Lord lets things happen to us, and we start wondering, where's he at? Why isn't he here? Why isn't he taking care of this? Why did he let this happen? And we might even get upset with him. You can imagine Mary and Martha. They were wondering, what in the world happened? Why, if you would have been here, he wouldn't be, he'd be alive right now if you would have been here. And this is human. When you get into a place where you're wondering, where is God in all of this? How could he let these things happen? Whenever the world looks upside down, you've got to say to yourself, Lazarus, it's for God's glory somehow, some way. And there's been times, and I'll tell you folks, I'll confess right now, where I've looked to heaven and I said, I know you say all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose, but I don't see how this is going to work out for good. And I have. I've screamed it up to heaven. I have, folks. There's my humanness. It's my humanness. In case anybody thinks I'm not human. Everybody there had accepted the reality of Lazarus being dead. But do you know that I've heard ministers doubt that he was dead? I have heard ministers with my own ears personally, face-to-face, -face, in the same room with them, deny Lazarus' death. Even though our Lord said, Lazarus is dead. I've heard them. Because by the time they arrived, when the Lord got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and he said it plainly, Lazarus is dead. And whenever I heard those ministers say that. This was a number of years ago, probably 12, 14 years ago. I thought, what in the world are we coming to when plain Scripture and the words of our Lord are denied as truth? No wonder the church is in such a shape as it is. And that was 14 years ago. Everybody there already accepted the reality of Lazarus being dead. The Jews knew there was absolutely no way that a dead soul could return to the body after three days. They had times when people had died and they came back to life in a day or two. And you know there's evidence of people being buried alive even though they were pronounced dead. When coffins have been exhumed and they find claw marks in the coffins because the people came back. But they knew there's no way he was coming back on that fourth day. Mary and Martha were mourning. And they had a group of mourners, which was a custom at that time. Some people, they were professional mourners. They would go to comfort others by weeping and wailing, crying out. And there's nothing, I think, that cuts through me more than hearing women wailing. It'll make me cry. 
because I feel the pain. And they were so distraught because their brother was dead. And yet, we remember, Jesus rose him from the grave. Our Lord said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked that question, do you believe this? He's testing their faith. They had walked with him. They had supported his ministry. They were there for him. They were right there with him. And here was their brother dead, and he said, I told you now. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And then we read in the 22nd chapter of Matthew that the Sadducees tried trapping him about this matter. They were, gonna, they were the ones that did, denied the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And we have modern-day Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection. I know it's hard to believe, but even in the so-called Christian church, there are those who do not believe that we are heading toward the resurrection. His reply to them was, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, and he would say the same thing to them today that he said to these ones back then, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. This is why we celebrate the resurrection. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And he brought us to new life. And that is something to celebrate. 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 Amen. Praise the Lord. You'll get that one. The weeping and wailing brought Christ to tears. And the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. He wept. He grieved over their grieving. He felt their pain. And do you think for a moment that He doesn't feel ours? Of course He does. He knows our pain. He lived it. And then He does the unthinkable. He tells them to open the grave. Take away that stone. Take away the stone. Martha said, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. It's not going to smell good. He's been in there a long time. It's too late. You should have come sooner. You know, throughout the time that he spent on earth, he made it clear he was indeed the Son of Almighty God. Mary and Martha heard him teach. They heard him teach on the resurrection. And yet, they were just as human as you and I. And they had doubts and they had fears. And we hear it expressed. There's a stench. Lord, you want me to open the grave? It's not going to be good. See, they had benches in the tombs. 
And they would lay the bodies on the benches, wrapped and spiced up and all that kind of stuff, and eventually the body would decay and they'd collect the bones and they'd put them in a receptacle. And these family tombs, especially for the rich, they would have those containers. So there would be sometimes multiple generations of family members in the same tomb. Because they'd go back in and then they'd arrange the bones into the box and they'd put the box with the other elders of the family. But here, he was only in there four days. But four days is a long time for a decomposing corpse. And in John chapter 11 and verse 40, we hear our Lord asking Martha, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? When they opened the tomb, Christ prayed thanks to the Father. And he commanded, and it was a command, Lazarus! Come forth! It wasn't an instruction. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. And this is His command to us. Come forth. Come forth out of the tomb of sin. Come forth out of the tomb of human traditions. Come forth out of the tomb of pagan rituals. and Come forth out of the tomb of demonic doctrines. What do we learn next? Lazarus came out. He came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Now, it doesn't say he, or that he hopped. It just says he came out. Now, my guess is the Lord floated him out, okay? Maybe flat. But we don't know. All we know is that he came out. He may have walked out. But his face was covered. He's bound up like a mummy. And our Lord said, Loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Set him free. And you know, this is an image, at least to me, that's like us being wrapped up in sin and depravity. We're bound and ensnared in false doctrine and erroneous teaching, man-made traditions. And the Lord says, loose them and let them go. That's my prayer for all of us. As we celebrate His resurrection today, I pray that He would loose us, free us from everything that's contrary to Him. Raising Lazarus brought many to faith in Christ, but then some became absolutely certain they wanted him dead. They wanted him dead. They were resolved to kill him. And the Scripture makes that clear. After Caiaphas told the other religious leaders, you know nothing at all. Can't you see that it's to our advantage that one man dies for the people rather than the whole nation be destroyed? That's at the end of uh, John chapter 11 and verse 49 and also verse 50. And as we read on in John's gospel record there, we hear he said, Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he was prophesying and didn't even know it. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that He would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Caiaphas had no clue what he had just said. 
But John, he got it when he recorded it. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection verified God's acceptance of his sacrifice on our behalf, and it proves his power over death. This is good news for all of us who have accepted him. It guarantees believers' resurrection to everlasting life. He said, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's in John 3.17. We, we always hear John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But few of us remember verse 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Too often, the church polity, the politics, condemn people. That's not what Christ came into the world to do. And I hope if anybody here ever feels as if they're being judged or condemned, I want to know about it. I will address it immediately, because it certainly is not what God wants to have happen in the body of believers. He came to set us free, not to condemn us. And he also said, for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. That's in John chapter 5 and verse 21. He gives life. He doesn't condemn. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's written, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Him. Why celebrate the resurrection? He's going to raise us with Christ. Jesus said, this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day, John 6, 40. This is why we celebrate the resurrection. It's our resurrection too. We will be raised to new life. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. We have new life awaiting for us in Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, it's written, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. You got some aches and pains today? I'll raise my hand. I do. But He's going to transform that. You will not have that anymore. He says He'll transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. We don't have to live in these broken down bodies forever. He's going to give us a new body, a glorified body, one that doesn't break down. It's written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, in other words, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus, those who've died believing. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The dead in Christ rise first, and then we, it goes on to tell us, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Does that sound silent to you? Does that sound like He sneaks in? With a shout! He said, a shout! There's going to be a noise! It's going to be the whole world that knows He has arrived! The time is now! With a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Why do we celebrate the resurrection? Because it is our promise of everlasting life. It is our promise that we too one day will we will we will be with Christ. And speaking of resurrections, remember this, it's written in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. This is as he's dying. And this is why I focused on the crucifixion so heavily. And he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked. And the rocks were split. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, I've said this before, folks. We've got a cemetery here. And if graves start popping open and people start coming out, I don't know how I'm going to react. <laughs> i got to tell you, I don't know. But here they were. They came into the city. They were in Jerusalem. They're walking around. They're talking to people. They appeared to many. Graves opened. The dead came out after His resurrection. This is a picture, the big picture of Christ our Lord rounding us up and saying, it's time. Come home. And we sing that song, come home. Come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Now, with so many crucifixions and so many resurrections, makes His special? We've read the Scriptures. Some believe it's just another resurrection. Ah, it's just another one. Lots of people resurrected. People come back from the dead. No need to celebrate. Others believe we shouldn't celebrate Resurrection Day because of the mingling with pagan rituals. 
They say it's taboo. We shouldn't do anything about it. We should ignore it. Some say we should not celebrate because it's not in the Bible. And there's still others who won't attend a Resurrection Day service here because we don't do the pagan stuff. You're not going to find Easter eggs here, sorry kids. You're not going to have rabbits and ducks and whatever else. I don't know what they do because we don't do it. We don't celebrate with pagan-derived traditions. The Lord says to come out of them. He says, don't be, don't be amongst them. You've got to be in them, in the world, but you can't be of them. And we all know why this one crucifixion is important and why we remember it. Each of us know. He promised resurrection. He promised He was going to resurrect, and He did. He raised others. He arose, and He promised that all who believe will rise to live again eternally. The resurrection of our Lord proves the absolute sovereignty of Almighty God. He has the power over life and death. Don't ever, for a moment, and I, I unfortunately have tested God, walking from Him, running from Him, living in sin, and I learned firsthand His power over life and death. Christ's resurrection is a testimony to the raising of all people who believe. And asserting His resurrection reveals our faith and belief in God. Jesus said, some will be raised to eternal life. We look in John chapter 5. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Those are the words of our Lord. I don't care what some religious talking head has to say. I know what He said. It is written. We will live forever. The question really comes down to what our Lord asked Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We praise You. We know that we serve a living Savior. We know that He's in the world today. We know that He's within us. And so God, I ask You to pour Your Spirit upon each one within the sound of my voice. That Your Spirit would reign in our lives. That we would walk in newness of life. That the resurrection power of Christ would guide our lives until He comes again for us, whether we be asleep or awake at that moment. I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.